If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. And the election is less than a week away. Glad I'm a kid. In the newsroom, Ted, Diana, and Lisa will on the board hear Scott Thompson. Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.08. It is Hamilton today. Uh, I'm Scott Thompson, Ted Michaels, as well as Diana Weeks and Lisa Pileski, all in the newsroom. Will on the board, as Kurt said. And uh, we got another jam-packed day. And, you know, I, I, I think what uh, it's not necessarily a, a great way to start the show, uh, but the stuff that we're hearing out of uh, Western, University of Western Ontario, and the allegations of uh, sexual misconduct, even a uh, student who had lost his life. Uh, I know you're a parent, Ted. I mean, you've said kids off to school this sort of stuff I, you know this is the my my oldest is in the second year but the first year going there and she's not in the same place but this could happen at any university i mean it just not only does it break your heart but you just think my god what's going on every here? parent's nightmare because it's tough enough when you send your your child away to school i mean even if you were in town locally and they were going to mac yeah. And they stayed on campus. You know, you worry. But then they go out of town, and you worry even more. So it's just absolutely horrific. You know, I, I cannot, uh, for the life of us, we can't understand why this goes on. And, uh, you know, it's it's just, just a heartbreaking story. And then, yeah, the story uh, out of residence where, again, this is alleged, uh, an alleged situation or situations, up to 30 uh, students uh, apparently involved in some sort of, uh, sexual assault or such. Uh, the school pretty mum on it. I think four people have been charged. Uh, the London police have opened up their own, uh, investigation on this. But then, you know, Diana, I even got to think as, you know, a, a young student uh, attending university or what have you for the first time, college, how this must, how this must just add to the whole anxiety of it all. Yeah. It's, it's got to be absolutely horrifying. I mean, you know, for anyone who's starting out, uh, it's just, uh, you know, a lot going on. Some people, you know, it's their first time you know, heading out to, you know, parties without their parents close by and, and, you know, they're under the influence of several things and you never yeah. know what could happen. And it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's really scary when you think about it. Yeah, and you know, you, you bring up a valid point there that, uh, you know, last year, nothing. This year, two years of, you know, there's like two years of first-year students when you think about it. And, uh, you know, the the situation is there for party, 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 considering that, you know, most of the students are, are vaccinated and such. But this is uh, this is just heartbreaking and certainly something, a story that we will uh, we will keep our eyes on. And uh, thanks for sharing your opinion on this, guys. Jugmeet Singh, leader of the federal NDP, is going to join us later on in the show. So if you got a question, send it to us, uh, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, poll question of the day. Are you standing by there, Will? What do you got? Aye, aye. What is the most important issue in this federal election? And they actually have four possibilities. Pandemic recovery, 46.1% say yes. Healthcare, 16.2% say yes. Climate change, 13%. Or housing affordability, 24.7%. Number five. Number five. Number five. Why are we going to the polls anyway? 
Yeah, that's a valid point. That's and my you know, question. Yeah, and you know what? Less polling stations, all of that stuff. I don't get it. This is a stupid idea. But yes, it's our prime minister that is playing the victim here. Uh, everybody's picking on him. Uh, anyway, uh, if you've got a question, thank you, Will, for uh, Jugmeet Singh, leader of the NDP. Send it to us, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. <laughs> Solicitor General has uh, been in contact with uh, uh, police forces across the province just to advise that there may be situations that will arise that may require their assistance. But as for how those police forces will be dealing with it, that will be up to each individual police force to make that determination themselves and to ready themselves accordingly. That is uh, Minister Elliot, Health Minister Elliot, uh, talking this morning earlier on, earlier on this afternoon, actually, in regard to uh, the vaccine certificates that are coming out. As of September 22nd, residents looking to visiting uh, indoor settings need to show proof of uh, vaccination uh, or a legitimate medical exemption along with pieces, a uh, piece of identification to enter restaurants, bars, nightclubs, concert venues, gyms, fitness facilities, theaters, uh, racetracks, water parks, TV and film production, uh, studio audiences, sports venues, casinos, gaming establishments, meeting and event spaces, strip clubs and bathhouses. Uh, and then on October 22nd, a QR code-based mobile apps uh, application is set to roll out. So let's bring in Carmi Levy, tech analyst. He is with us now. Carmi, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Great to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, here we are. I'm sure you're a busy guy today commenting on this. What are your thoughts at first glance at all of this? Uh, well, the new iPhones. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry about that. It's just, yeah. Um, you know what? No, we, we have, we've talked about this earlier, and, and whether there is a need for this or not, now obviously the government has decided that there is. Is this, uh, you know, rather than this is the way to go, uh, from a tech angle, is it feasible, is it doable, is it worth it? I think it is. I mean, I think, you know, the truth of the matter is if we want to go back to something approaching normal life, before we've reached uh, appropriate levels of herd immunity, we're going to have to have some kind of validation uh, method in place uh, to ensure that when you and I go to a restaurant or a bar or a gym or anywhere else, uh, you know, that is considered non-essential but, but, but enclosed, that we stand a reasonable assurance that we're not going to get infected there, that everyone around us, uh, if they say they're not, they are vaccinated, then they, they will be vaccinated. So I think we need that. And, and this isn't, a, you know, again, I, I talk to the technology, not to the politics, but as a, a citizen of this province, I think it's absolutely crucial. This is one of the things that we need to, to play that role to maximize safety when we're out and about. I think it makes sense. Looking at what the Ontario government has planned and the additional details that they're providing uh, now on things like enforcement and what that regime is going to look like, uh, I think it makes sense. You know, is it you know feasible or optimal? I don't know. I don't know if this is the best that Ontario could do. I think we've seen since day one of this pandemic that Ontario could have done a lot better but did not. Uh, and, you know, we are certainly not the first province. We are lagging the rest of the country for the most part. Other provinces have moved ahead with better solutions. Um, there isn't anything relatively unique here. Uh, that sets us apart. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they're ticking most of the boxes. And most of the things that we're seeing in Quebec and BC and elsewhere, Manitoba's got its own plans in, in motion as well. Um, Ontario was following suit. And so I'm encouraged that the Ford government has decided not to reinvent the wheel, but that they've decided, okay, if it's working well enough elsewhere, we'll borrow some of those processes. We'll use QR codes. We'll use an app. 
uh, we'll have those validations. We'll make sure that you can get a hold of your QR codes fairly easily. All of those pieces are present and accounted for, and at least that brings me some degree of comfort. I'm not 100% happy, but I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, what is the difference between this and what we have now? Uh, what we have now is essentially nothing. It's the honor system, right? When you show up at a, at a gym or a restaurant, they, they can ask you if, if you are vaccinated, but there's no provincially mandated, uh, umbrella process that governs all such, uh, such uh, establishments. And so it's kind of catch as you can. Uh, so if I go to one establishment, the, the owners decide that they're going to do X. I go to another establishment, the owners decide they, they're going to do Y. I go to a third establishment, the owners might decide to do nothing. Uh, so what this does is it ensures that everyone is on the same page. And I think that brings you and me as citizens a little bit of comfort because then we don't have to hold our breath and wonder when we show up at this establishment, well, gee, what's the process going to be? We know what to expect. We know what our responsibility is. We know what we need to bring with us to ensure that we can get in and get out and not get sick in the process. And I think that alone, that you know, provincial standard, in the ideal world, it would have been a federal one. Let's make it clear. Uh, but in the absence of that, the fact that we have provincial governments starting to mandate for their own provinces, I think this is a good thing. It brings us all a little bit more confidence. And then we don't, it's, it's not such a, 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 a large question mark every time we leave the house. At least we know what's going on and what we need to do. And it appears that this, it appears, uh, Carmi, that this can be expanded, that this is not just a vaccine certificate, but could be used, uh, whether it's for other forms of health care, uh, driver's license, that sort of thing, that they're going to add more to this. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, there are two ways of looking at this. On the one hand, we want our governments to be more efficient. We, we, we think that they, 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 they cost too much, that they're the services they put in place, that they're not as efficiently deployed as possible. Well, if we want them to be more efficient, they're going to need to add more services on top of this infrastructure that they're putting in place. That's just the way it is. Uh, so, you know, and so far as better government is concerned, this is how better government looks. And I'm OK with that. The flip side, though, is that this was originally introduced just to do one thing and one thing only. So that there will be those who claim that, well, you know, you said it was a vaccine passport and now you're just lopping on like pads of pots of butter. You're lopping on additional things and it's overreach. And the government is now sticking its nose deeper into my private business in places where it has no business being. Now, granted, most of this can be explained away, but the government does have to do a better job of telling that story, why they started with a digital uh, uh, pandemic vaccine and why they're expanding from there, because it's more efficient, because you and I are ultimately paying for this, and this is the best use of the limited resources that they've got. So there's some marketing that has to happen here, because I can see the hue and cry. Uh, Ontarians are going to wonder, why is the government reaching so far? This is why we need to know why. I don't know. It just seems to me in this age of technology, I'd rather have one more, just one chip in my head. I lean into the gas pump to pay or take money out of the, uh, out of the, uh, uh the cash machine if I need mm-hmm. to. But to me, this reminds me a lot of the old age of majority card. You know, we had to show that before there was a more digital ID. Then, of course, that evolved and, and eventually was taken over as soon as there was a photo put on your driver's license. So isn't this just the same thing? The evolution of the service and the technology? It is. You know, anyone who complains that, you know, the government now wants to know my vaccine status, well, take a look at those yellow cards you used to bring to school with your vaccine yeah. records on. Yeah, We've all exactly. been there before. We have all been validating ourselves to various levels of government in various different ways for since the beginning of time. And so, you know, to sort of say, you know, I don't want the government up in my business, they've been up in your business all along. That's the way this is supposed to work. 
And so why wouldn't we leverage some technology to make it more efficient, to make it more precise, uh, to allow us to, to lead a higher quality, safer, less sick life? I think I'm okay with that. I think most people are. It's one of those reasonable trade-offs of public life that we have been making all of our lives. And this just moves us a little bit more into the technology era. That is really all that we're talking about here. And anyone who claims differently really doesn't understand how government works in the first place. And I think they could do well with a civics lesson. It was like closed-circuit TV 20, 30, 40 years ago, what have you. Uh, Carmi Levy with his tech analyst talking about uh, Minister Elliott uh, giving us the details of their digital ID vaccine certificate, which is coming out September 22nd, digital version October 22. Carmi, thanks for the time. Be well. Great being here, Scott. You as well. If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, in case you're unaware, there is a federal election going on six days until uh, September 20th. And, of course, your chance to cast your ballot for the prime minister of this country. Let's bring let's bring in Jugmeet Singh, leader of Canada's New Democratic Party, and is with us now. Jugmeet, thanks so much for the time. Great to meet you. My pleasure to be on the show with you. Thanks so much. Uh, first of all, congratulations to you and your wife on uh, your pregnancy, your first pregnancy, and good luck to you moving forward on all that. Thanks so much. Yeah, we're really excited about it. It's going to be end of the year, and it's going to be a whole new adventure. Yeah, good luck to you, boy. Anybody with kids, we all know what that's about, so congratulations to you. Uh, let's get Thanks. started here. You talk about taxing the wealthy, taxing the ex- yes. uh, the extra rich. Uh, I'm certainly nowhere near anywhere near that threshold at all, but uh, that being said, uh, many of us have financial planners or accountants that tax plan for us. Uh, is it not sort of misleading to say that these rich people would not have the same sort of accountants that would tax plan for them and, and find other options for their money? You know, we also have some of the best uh, public servants that work in our civil sector that can do a great job. They've said if we had more resources, we could go after some of the large corporations that make money in Canada, but then hide their money in overseas banks. We could change the laws so that companies like Amazon that make record profits in the pandemic, but pay virtually no taxes in Canada, would start paying their fair share. So there are a lot of changes that we can make that would actually start getting the super rich to start paying their fair share, and that's what we're proposing. Many have talked about Amazon or refer to Amazon certainly as a very, very successful business during this pandemic. What can you do to an Amazon to make them pay their fair uh, taxes? Well, when it comes down to it, uh, we have a company that just because they're not registered in Canada, but still makes profit here, uh, makes record profits in the pandemic and pays virtually no tax here, we can get them to start paying their fair share by looking at some of the innovative things that other countries have done. France has proposed recently a tax on revenue. So we could tax the revenue that a company generates in the country. There are ways that we can make them pay their fair share. But the question we want to answer is, does it make any sense that if a local Canadian company set up and provided the same service as Amazon, they would have to pay taxes in Canada? But just because of the way the structure of Amazon is, they make profits in our country but don't pay any taxes here. Is that, any, is that fair to Canadian companies? Is that a fair way to run a society? And I think most Canadians would agree that that isn't fair. So we want to make our system fair. And that means making sure that billionaires don't get away with a free ride or exemptions just because we're rich. We, we want to change that. And, and I'm confident we can do it. 
It seems that when the NDP has an idea that resonates with the Canadian public, or this even happens provincially, uh, provincially, the Liberals slip in and, and, and grab the groceries out of your cart and then sell it themselves. Uh, you look at the success of, of a Bob Ray or a Jack Layton who had a tendency to move the party more to the center. Have you ever thought of doing that as opposed to being on the fringes more? Well, I just want to find solutions. And I know from what I hear from people, people tell me every day, that they can the four years of Justin Trudeau. The cost of living has gone up. The cost of housing has gone up. He promised to lower the cost of cell phone and internet services, which is a very important thing since we pay the highest rates. And he failed to do that. And he walked away from those commitments. And so I wanted to let Canadians know, if you want life to be more affordable, if you want to see investments in healthcare, tackling the housing crisis, making life more affordable, and if you believe that it should be the 44 wealthiest billionaires in Canada that start paying their fair share, then New Democrats are your choice. The Liberals often run on campaign and run on, run on and campaign on these good ideas, but they don't deliver on them. And we've got six years of evidence where Justin Trudeau has made things worse for a lot of people. And so we're offering an alternative. And if you want these things, the best way to get them is to vote for them and it's to vote NDP. I remember a prominent liberal once saying when an NDPer said uh, no one gets uh, left behind, he said because nobody gets ahead. What do you say to those that are sitting on the fence that uh, are, are thinking about moving their vote back to liberal or, or those that are just scared when they hear the word socialism from the NDP? Well, I think we're in a different time now, and a lot of people are frustrated with the way the economy seems and feels pretty rigged. If you're working class, middle class, you work hard, pay your taxes, and feel like you can't get ahead. But just because uh, someone's got a uh, $100 million or it's a billionaire or runs a, a large corporation, they've got all sorts of loopholes that mean they don't pay their fair share. That doesn't sit well with Canadians. And we want to build a fair system where everyone can get ahead, not just a few, not just those at the very, very top. And it makes a lot of sense to Canadians that that's the way things should be run. And we're confident we can do that and we can create a better society where we take better care of each other. And I feel like the pandemic has really shown that the more we take care of each other, the better we are all. Uh, we're in the last week of this campaign, and this will be my last question. What is the biggest challenge for you, Jugmeet, as you head into the last week of this campaign and we're into the dying days? I feel like people get cynical because they've, they've been sold a lot of promises that were broken by Mr. Trudeau, and so they feel a little bit burnt by that. I met people who tell me, you know what, I voted for Trudeau in 2015 and again in 2019. Don't judge me. And I'm like, no, it's okay. They go, but you know what? We just feel really let down. And I say, I'm not going to let you down. You've seen what I've done in the pandemic, how we've fought for you to get more served, to get a higher wage subsidy to save jobs. The same way we fought for you in the pandemic, we're going to fight for you in the recovery. And I'm hoping I can, can convince folks that are feeling a bit cynical that there is still cause to have hope. We can build better, better as possible, and we're going to do it. Jugmeet, it seems we've got a more divisive country than we've ever had. How can you bring us together? I think a lot of people agree that there is a real difference between the lives of middle class, working class, everyday folks, and those at the very, very top. And we can come together around this idea. Wouldn't it make more sense to invest in each other, to lift each other up, and make sure that the billionaires of this world that have so much resources that they start paying their fair share. I feel like we can bring a lot of people together on this idea. And, and we're already seeing that start to happen. Jagmeet Singh with us, leader of Canada's New Democratic Party, speaking with us with six days left to go in the election campaign. Jagmeet, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Good luck. 
pleasure, and I'm coming to you live from the bus, so please excuse all the noise in the background. <laughs> no problem at all. Listening. Please get out and vote. <laughs> all right, no problem at all. It's great to hear that uh, behind-the-scenes atmosphere. Sad news we have heard today that uh, Canadian comedian uh, Norm Macdonald has passed away at the age of 61. Many uh, not even aware that that he was ill in any way, uh, which is makes uh, today's announcement all the more uh, surprising. But apparently he had been ill uh, for quite some time, about nine years uh, with cancer, but did not want uh, that diagnosis made public and wanted people to remember him for his comedy and, um, and, and not his illness. Let's bring in Bill Brio, television critic and author. He is with us now. Bill, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Uh, I'm fine, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Are you surprised about this? Did you know he was ill? No, I'm shocked and saddened, and um, I really had no idea that uh, he was that ill. Um, so, no, it came out of the blue for me. How do you keep this a secret in Hollywood or in showbiz land? That's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of these guys like Letterman and, and Conan O'Brien, um, they love Norm Macdonald, and uh, he was like the last comedian to guest on Letterman. Uh, and um, I think that had any of them an inkling about this, that uh, they were just very loyal to him. Uh, but uh, from what I understand, McDonald just didn't want anyone to know. He didn't want, he's a comedian, and he didn't want anybody to have any feelings other than that's a funny joke when he performed. Uh, he seemed, and I don't know, this sort of seems like a cliche, but he really seemed to be a comedian's comedian. And by that, I mean, he, he, he didn't he didn't go after the fame and fortune. He was just trying to make people laugh. He sure did. Yeah, no, he uh, he was a comedian. Other comedians, when they talk, uh, you almost ask any of them to single out your top three. He'd be in there um, just to see him live. He just was very fearless. Uh, he was almost defiant in terms of his jokes. Uh, he so angered the head of the uh, NBC West Coast uh, office when he was on Saturday Night Live that um, that eventually he had him fired off Saturday Night Live because the guy who ran NBC at the time um, was friends with O.J. Simpson. And Norman Dahl just relentlessly went after yeah, Simpson yeah. during that whole time of the trial. And how did how did this happen in the sense that you know how did this guy get booted off a show for that and and it, and it, it, it obviously that's a primo gig in the land of comedy and, and not something you bounce back from immediately. Yeah, you know, it just um, if you watched it back then, you know, the style was different. Like he literally was defying you to laugh, and so yeah. it, it wasn't a total shock. It wasn't just this one guy on the west coast of NBC who didn't get it. Other, a lot of people didn't, but um, the comedians loved him because it was just so brazenly fearless. And um, you bring up a valid point. I mean, many would say that he was very, very dry, but it's sort of beyond dry in the sense that he dared you to laugh. That's a very in- interesting observation. Yeah, like you know, OJ was found not guilty, and then there's McDonald the next weekend on Saturday Night Live going, "That's just in." Murder is now legal in California. Yeah. You know, like, it was boom. And um, so not everyone laughed, but boy, uh, a lot of comedians thought there's there's guts. Uh, how much do you think his Canadian heritage um, uh, played into his character and his humbleness? 
and it played in quite a bit. He had a show called Norm, like a scripted sitcom for a while. And uh, the character's name was Norm Henderson. And I asked him, is that a hockey tribute? And yeah, it was Norm Ullman and Paul Henderson once played on the line together for Toronto. And this was a U.S. sitcom, you know. So he worked it in. He was on a Netflix talk show a couple of years ago. Uh, not a lot of people saw it. It was really a curious show. But at the end of it, he and the other guy stood up and they sang, I could see by the clock on the wall, they sang the Wayne and Schuster goodbye theme. That, wow. Um, you know, only someone Canadian about Norm's age would even remember. I even phoned CBC and said, Gene, did you know this guy's using the Wayne and Schuster theme on, on his new show? And they didn't know, you know. Are you surprised that considering the guests he seemed to have on that show, I wasn't aware of it either, that it played and, and didn't get more response? Yeah, you know, he, again, an acquired taste, and his yeah. talk show was almost a deconstruction of a talk show, but he had Jane Fonda on as a guest, one of them. And, um, you know, he was flirting outrageously with Jane Fonda, and uh, she was kind of into it. <laughs> it was... It was <laughs> funny and sweet i'm i'm um, i'm feeling you know well i'm feeling uncomfortable just listening to you tell that story i can't imagine what it was like to watch it, it was fantastic it's not that's why that's why you had to watch norman donald because it was electric because anything could happen and it it's not something you would expect he was surprising um you know he, he, he part of that show you would get the guests to read a joke and fonda's was uh stop being so smug lake superior you know, things like that. You have to think about it, right? <laughs> oh, man. And uh, it, it, what about his stand Because I saw a clip from uh, uh, Mark Breslin at uh, Yuck Yucks. Apparently, he played, He started at Yuck Yucks in Ottawa, did like three weeks on the amateur night, and then he made it to the main stage. Yeah, but he was... Um, I, I interviewed him way, way back um, when he was on Saturday Night Live. I remember going to New York, talking to him in his office on the 8th floor in Dirty Rock, and we talked about his roots and just how he never is. He wasn't totally comfortable when he started out. He tried to affect an accent. He tried to come up with a personality. Uh, I remember even interviewing his brother, Neil McDonald, who was a CBC newsman for many, many years. And Norm and Neil both said that Neil was the funny one. (laughs) (laughs) And Neil said he would go to see Norm just because he was so off and awkward that that was hilarious. You're right. It was like it was as if you went to see him fail, but somehow he'd make it funny. Yeah, you know, he just it was defiantly stood there till you laughed, and uh, but boy, Letterman loved him. Comedians all just about the world of him. Norm Macdonald has passed away, former SNL Weekend Update anchor and Canadian at the age of 61 after a nine-year battle, private battle, with cancer. Bill Brio has been with us, television critic and author. Bill, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, we were talking to you yesterday about a number of disturbing stories coming out of Western University in London, and uh, this is all within you know the first week of school. Uh, London police had held a uh, virtual press conference earlier on today. Let's bring in Sawyer Bogdan, reporter with Global News Radio 980 CFPL in London, and is with us now. Sawyer, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Thanks for having me. So what uh, did you find out at this uh, news conference earlier today? Anything uh, to report? What's an update for us? 
Well, police confirmed uh, that they're taking all of the allegations of uh, violence and sexual assault very seriously. They actually, um, numbers had been circulating online throughout the weekend, and police kind of um, confirmed that they're taking the suggestion. Some reports are suggesting that 30 or more students may have been victimized, and they say they're taking that report very seriously and they're looking into each individual um, claim as to what happened. So, in other words, uh, they have not yet necessarily received a complaint from the university or from students, but uh, going from what they've seen on social media, they've decided to open their own investigation on this. Well, they are working with Western University. Yesterday, they did open um, their own investigation. They're working with Western University. Yesterday, they were actually, they went on campus and they were knocking, I think, door to door inside the two residencies that are involved to try and get um, information from students and get statements. So I think that's an ongoing process um, that is currently happening They also addressed the number that Western reported um, in their statement yesterday saying that for um, separate incidents of um, sexual assault occurred earlier in the week unrelated to what happened here. And um, London police said we are investigating each of those reports. Um, So that's that's kind of where things stand now, but they're not those four separate incidents that happened on the campus earlier in the week aren't believed to be related uh, to what we're hearing has happened this weekend. Uh, um, what, ab- what about the death of the student from Simcoe that we'd heard earlier? Yeah, um, Gabriel Neal, um, it's tragic. It's not related. Um, police and Western has made it very clear that it, the two events, although they happened on the same night, um, aren't related at all. Uh, we don't have too many details at this time. Um, what happened, you know, unfortunately, um, Gabriel was assaulted, which led to him being hospitalized, and he then succumbed to his injuries, and somebody has been arrested there. Um, but still, very few details are, are known what happened to this kid who had just recently graduated from high school and was only a couple of days into his university career. Oh, my. What a terrible story. Uh, and this was in the vicinity of student residence, I understand. Yeah, so this was on the other side of campus. Um, but it was it was within Western, it was within Western's campus area. It was near some other student residencies on the other side of campus. Um, Western Road and Sarnia Road is a major intersection um, right by the gates to Western University. And I know there's um, two... There's two student residencies that are near that um, the student, I believe he he lived on campus and one of them, um, but they haven't told us where exactly. We know that he was, um, he graduated high school in Barrie, Ontario, and that his family was living in Simcoe, um, I guess, throughout the summer, and that's where they moved to, and then he had just uh, started, he just started school a week ago. Man, uh, and how is Western responding to this? I mean, this is a, a horrific way to start the year. Yeah, um, I think everybody is still kind of coming to terms with what happened. Um, the president of the university, Alan Shepard, he did want to make a distinction because I know there's some rumors that have spread online that what happened to him could have been related to all of the 
um, allegations of sexual assault we heard. And um, the one statement he did give is that what happened is tragic, especially to happen to someone so young, and that there is absolutely no connection between the reports of sexual assault that we're hearing and um, this very unfortunate death of such a, a young person. What about what they are getting back to the other issue and the alleged uh, uh, sexual assaults? What is the university doing to to guarantee that students are, are safe or to at least make them feel safe? There, There's a heightened security presence. They've mentioned that. They've talked about, you know, um, walk programs to get you back, to get you back into your dorm safe. Um uh, and a heightened security presence. Um, that's all we know so far. We do know that one person in relation to the previous sexual assaults from the week before, one person has been arrested. From our understanding, the university made it seem like that person was released from jail, but they're not living in, they're not living um, in campus residencies anymore, which was the impression they gave. Um, but yeah, there's not, it's, kind of a tricky situation i think um when you talk about um in this in this case what could potentially be um a massive incident when we're talking about 30 plus um young female students Mm. and uh if it was another student in residency um it's kind of a, a hard question here of the number of safety precautions to stop other people from coming into the building but what happens when it's an issue with people who live together in the same yeah. area. So we haven't really heard too much uh, towards that yet. Sawyer Bogdan with us, reporter with Global News Radio 980 CFPL in London. A number of disturbing stories coming out of Western uh, University in London uh, just with the first week of school alone. Sawyer, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. You as well. Poll question of the day. I'm finding this fascinating. Uh, poll question of the day. What is the most important election issue? Uh, the pandemic recovery, obviously, at 46% is the lead. But the second place is not uh, health care. It's not climate change. It is housing and housing affordability, which is really uh, the only issue other than what we've been talking about for the last hundred years that has reared its ugly head during this election that nobody wanted. So uh, fascinating that housing has now become the second uh, most important uh, issue in this debate uh, and ahead of climate change, ahead of even health care. Although pandemic recovery, you know, it could be a little bit of overlay there. Uh, so fascinating, the election that was called for no reason, uh, what really seems to be, uh, as you know, six days left, what seems to be the outstanding issues that people are arguing about. To, m- to me, it seems more about divisive politics. It seems more about a wedge issue. It seems more about ticking the other one off. Uh, you know, if you don't vote for me, you're going to get these people, uh, which is you know, what's the issue? You know, I thought the big issue was climate change, climate change, climate change, climate change. That's all the prime minister's been talking about. And yet, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're still talking about COVID-19 stuff. You know why? Because we're in the middle of a global pandemic which is not the time to be calling a federal election. Uh, enough said, and I hope more people remember that as uh, you vote at the polls. All right, uh want to play you a report. Uh, we're going to talk some politics this hour before we get Jugmeet Singh on, coming up at 5.20 later on today. Uh, this is Abigail Beeman from Global News. She's on the campaign trail with Justin Trudeau. In the home stretch of the campaign, Justin Trudeau has been sharpening his tax against rival Aaron O'Toole. But Tuesday, he targeted provincial politicians, too, in provinces where COVID rates are high. I don't think any Albertan or Saskatchewanian looking at this election 
could possibly think that Aaron O'Toole, who can't even get his own candidates to get vaccinated, would do any better for them than their current premiers are sitting across the table from Jason Kenney or Scott Moe. Speaking in B.C., Trudeau focused on climate, backed by the former head of the B.C. Green Party. This is a plan that I've been dreaming of for most of my life. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Richmond, B.C. All right, what happened to the sunny ways? My goodness. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the angry Justin Trudeau resonates uh, with Canadians as much as uh, the sunny ways uh, Justin Trudeau did of the uh, of the first election. Uh, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole in Russell, Ontario this morning. Uh, again, just as you heard from Trudeau, it's coming back over the net from O'Toole, uh, and the issue was trust. On the morning of Sunday, August 15th, when Justin Trudeau was on his way to Rideau Hall to call this election, there were under 2,000 COVID-19 cases in Canada. Today, there are over 5,000 more than twice as many, and the number is growing exponentially. Justin Trudeau, in the full knowledge this would happen, called an expensive, unwanted, and unnecessary election anyway. A $600 million power grab, the costliest in Canadian history. That's not leadership, it's self-interest. A prime minister who will call an election in the midst of a pandemic is not a person you can trust. All right, that's uh, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole in Russell, Ontario, this morning on the campaign trail. Let's bring in Tim Powers, Chairman Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data, and is on the line with us now. Tim, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. New show, Scott. They got you moved to the afternoon. I know. Look at that. All shiny and new. Here we go. Oh, well, you're still the same brilliant man in morning, <laughs> oh. afternoon, or night. Brilliant. That was not, How many other words did you have slipped in there ready to go, just in case? Uh, well, yeah, well, a few. It depends on the hour of the day, too. You know, it's getting near the end of my day, so, uh, so who knows what will come out of my mouth. All right. So uh, here we are, less than a week to go. Uh, with one week left to go, it seemed that the gloves came off, and uh, the Prime Minister was quite surprised that uh, Aaron O'Toole uh, made a personal attack towards him. What are your thoughts of where we are now? Well, it's kind of reflective of this election, isn't it? We're all knotted up if you look at all the polls, ours included, um, at least in the national top-line numbers. Neither of the main party leaders, the prime minister, Mr. O'Toole, has been able to come up with a compelling ballot question to at least so far unlock those numbers, nor has Mr. Singh. So, hey, go back to what works, just calling each other names. <laughs> and uh, that seems to be where we are. I mean, it's, whether there was a compelling ballot question or not, that tends to be what happens, unfortunately, in the last couple of days of the campaign. But if you had to hope for more, and as the Prime Minister tried to frame this thing is in the beginning as the, the most important election since 1945, the language certainly doesn't reflect that. Uh, it's interesting. Are you surprised that in this, what was supposed to be such an important election, all we're talking about is mudslinging and mandatory vaccines and stuff that we were talking about in, in, in you know, past elections? Our poll question of the day asking uh, listeners, and this certainly is not scientific in any way, but pandemic recovery is the most uh, pressing issue, followed by housing, then health care, then climate change. I mean, uh, many would have said it was the other way around if it was uh, in the early stages or even before this pandemic. Are you surprised that we're, we're talking about what we are? Not really, because I think we're in this just collective state of frustration at the moment, right? So it's probably more difficult for even us just to get expansive on 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 what we want to talk about 
we're in a place now, school's back in most of the province for, this is the second week of school, people are getting back to the routines, they're all waiting to see if, uh, you know, uh, another axe is going to fall here and uh, things may get mixed up. And I think that's reflected in... In, in in the answers you're getting on your online poll and the frustration you're seeing from the leaders and the public in general trying to sort through uh, through all of this right now. It's like we don't need it, as some have said. Uh, obviously, we heard Aaron O'Toole's press conference yesterday uh, and basically comparing his life to the prime minister's, which is always dangerous. Uh, that being said, you know, uh, many have questioned, um, you know, whether he's qualified, certainly the eliteness of it all. Is it wrong to challenge one's character during an election campaign? I, well, it happens. Uh, I, I think people do look at the character of an individual. Uh, how, how can you not look? At, how can you not look at the yeah, character? Yeah, I mean, you're you're not voting for a robot, right? You're voting for a human being. Uh, certainly, Stephen Harper's character was prosecuted, to use an overused term at the moment, by the the Liberals uh, since he's been in office. He's still being prosecuted, and he's not even in office. Um, so that's just what happens. I mean, the funny thing though, about uh, both, both Mr. O'Toole and Mr. Bernier criticizing the prime minister for his lineage is, though their fathers weren't prime minister, both Mr. O'Toole and Mr. Bernier did have and do have fathers who uh, were well-known in politics and served as elected officials uh, as well. So, as you say, you have to be careful with that comparison because it can blow back at you. Uh, that being said, he certainly is identifying that uh, perhaps the prime minister can't identify uh, with the middle class such as, you know, he can or perhaps uh, one of the other candidates. Is is that going to resonate? It seems to have upset the prime minister and you know, especially around the protesters. He's almost playing the victim. He called the election that nobody wanted. Yet now he's playing the victim because all these protesters are coming out and and and, and painting a picture that this is the opposition vote for me or you get these protesters. Uh, will that will that Justin Trudeau, Trudeau resonate? It could. It's, look, certainly with conservative supporters, that's it's an easy layup. And maybe part of what Mr. O'Toole is thinking um, is uh, because, you know, there could be difficulties with turnout because the lineups and everything to win it. Aaron O'Toole needs uh, the conservative vote to show up. So he knows if he drives this for a couple of days, it'll remind conservative voters uh, they need to show up. It'll also set him up. If, for example, he and Mr. O'Toole doesn't win the election but holds Mr. Trudeau to another minority, um, he'll want to set himself up for another run at this. You'll remember Mr. Scheer held the prime minister to a minority, and he got turfed. So part of this is uh, is protecting uh, your own uh, end zone, if you will, at the moment. And part of it is maybe trying to appeal to some people who haven't voted to look at the prime minister over the last six years and see what Aaron O'Toole sees uh, in him. Uh, Jugbeat Singh seems to be slipping a bit. Is this the decision from those on the left to either choose the NDP or the Liberals? Well, that's what the Liberals would hope, and that's what I suspect they're going to go hard with. Uh, you, you hear both Mr. O'Toole and Mr. Trudeau now saying, you know, we're the only option uh, if you want to, you know, tools, if you want to stop Trudeau, you you got to choose us. And Mr. Singh, or sorry, Mr. Trudeau saying, if you want to stop O'Toole, we're the only option. And that's a long-held liberal play. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't 
comment yet fully on the slippage until we see where we are Friday and if that, that is, in fact, what's happening. Uh, will we know by Friday, or could anything happen over an election uh, weekend oh, yeah, prior to an election? Over the, but I think we'll see a pattern starting to emerge on, on Friday. I mean, we put out an abacus poll yesterday. One of the interesting things in that poll is there's still a large number of people who are just starting to tune in. So O'Toole, mm. and, uh, O'Toole Singh and Trudeau are all looking to play uh, play to them right now, too, with their last-minute framing for those who haven't paid attention but could influence the outcome of this election. Tim Powers with us, Chairman of Summa Strategies and Managing, uh, Managing Director of Abacus Data, talking about all things election with six days left to go in the campaign. Tim, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Take care, Scott. Bye. Forget about his two cents. Scott has an entire vault filled with opinions. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. It's time of the show when we're doing a, fe- a feature called Countdown to Ted. Hang on. Oh, sorry. Countdown to Ted. Ted, Ted, Ted. And uh, do you want to speak, Ted, before no, we No, I, I just wasn't aware that this has now become a thing, you know. <laughs> Do I get well, a lovely we, parting gift for being on the program so often? We were, we, we were, we knew if we asked you about this that you would say no. Yeah. Whereas if we just kind of threw it at you, threw in the wheel of hits there and <laughs> whatever, uh, eventually you would come accustomed to love this feature and embrace it and such. Well, so far I've been pretty good. Yes, yeah, I, I would admit that. So yes. let's keep rocking. So uh, one thing that stands out as I look back on, um, you know, uh, knowing you over uh, my limited career compared to yours, uh, I remember nice. your involvement in the Around the Bay Road Race. Yes. So do you remember, and, and uh, you know, I know there's a lot of them there, but specifically your first Around the Bay Road Race and getting ready in the preparation for that? Uh, well, I, I ran it before uh, several times. And the thing about that, that Bay Race, you know, it's, it's interesting because we, everybody trains at their own pace and you do what you do and what have you. But then race day, we're all basically the same. Now, yes, there's a winner and, you know, people finish second and people finish third and 342nd. But basically, it's the 5K race, it's the 30K race, and it's the human race. And I remember starting the race thinking, we've all trained and basically, here's the neat part. You're actually running on the same route as Olympic athletes, as marathoners, and things like that. So that that was the neat part and then they asked me to do other stuff with you know police chief rest in peace brian mullen and then other stuff and raising money but but the first one yeah then they changed the route because we used to have to go up that hill uh down uh uh, at the end of bay street like up the hill that's (laughs) i i admit at one point uh a race not too many years ago i guess i wasn't feeling well and i ended up um well, let's just say um, hurling would be a proper Yo, term. So yeah, <laughs> it was. It yeah, was, that's a boy. It was not pleasant. It was. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the studio <laughs> audience is clapping Dad. now, but he didn't have to clean Take it up. <laughs> would you like some water, sir? <laughs> yeah, I definitely did. So, <laughs> would you like a moist towel? Would you like a moist towelette, sir? <laughs> yeah. So I expended Can I see your the number, en- <laughs> sir. Let me get that for your number there. <laughs> I expended the energy. I probably did a lot of things that I shouldn't have done, and. And, uh, but basically, it's fun. Then they change the route, so it's a little flatter now, mercifully. We go, some would say it's, it's amazing, ironic. It's amazing that you talk about herbing your cookies and then the next line say how much fun it was. Well, yeah, it was. And then they changed the route, so now we, ironic, we go to the cemetery and back. 
Nice. <laughs> nice. There's a guy halfway through who's he's a grim reaper. He's holding a sign. <laughs> yes, from where for where you vomit the next time, Mister uh, Mister Michaels. Yeah, projectiles. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Uh, I participated in this event once, and I'm not a runner. I was I was like speed walking most of the way around it. But what I was impressed, and and you know, you were there in your glory at all the time, was just the buzz around yeah. the starting line, just the the atmosphere there is before they actually uh, let the let the troops go per se. Oh, see, see, they're already calling. I'll get that. Don't you worry, Ted. <laughs> see, they're already calling about how they register for the race and how they want Here, to run with me. Here's the odd thing. Yep. Uh, my my bell line wasn't working this morning. <laughs> Clearly, they're fixing it now. <laughs> anyway, what the hell is going on? And now you got the yes, dog. Now I got the dog <laughs> This barking. is off the rails. Pretty now. soon, <laughs> we're going to see here the crows. Thank you, Will. <laughs> see, there we go. <laughs> you sure it's not vultures? They smell good. And and we thought we couldn't top with your your little story about running and and yakking, but I digress. So, but yeah, it was the atmosphere at the starting line that was just you know. And again, I'm not a runner, I'm yep. not, but it was just it's incredible. It, it's an it's an amazing feel. And the also the thing that I noticed is the people that cheer you along the line, yes. along the race. That's hilarious. I remember. Well, Last couple of races I did, you know, you're running down, you got people, there was a person holding a sign. Way to go, random person, right? That's what the sign <laughs> oh, <said. yeah. laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, the little kid pulling the wagon starts moving ahead of you. Then you think, well, that's it. It's time to give it up. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, like from people that are, are jingling bells and yep. banging pots and pans and stuff. And then, yep. you know, and those hanging around the water stations, it is really quite the, uh, it's quite the atmosphere. Yeah. And we miss, of course, doing it uh, this year because of of uh, the yeah. pandemic and hopefully uh, back uh, next year because I do we know wanna... anything about that? Is there anything uh, moving forward? No, they're still making plans for it. Um, I think uh, I think they're they're getting their cue now from things like the Boston Marathon, which has yeah. changed. But they Boston is coming back in October as opposed to what they do in April. But they are bringing people back. They're cutting the number of participants, but they're still it's not virtual. It is going to be an actual race. So hopefully, we've said this so many times. Hopefully, by next March, we will be able to do this again, because I really have one more in me, and I want to see if I can beat my previous time, because it wow. was awful. Wow, you know, you're thinking the urban up the hill has got enough to slow you down, Ted. Yeah, Why I do you know. want to do this one more time? And, and what the heck's a virtual race? How do you do that? Well, be- oh, look, I'm on, the, I'm on my couch eating potato chips, no. but I'm really running. How do you do that? You basically pick a day to run. Uh, you go out, and you have an app that you download, and you basically, you know, in this case... You run the full course yeah, in your, yeah, yeah, and, by yourself. Then you down or with friends or whatever, and then you yeah. download your time to the site. And so, in my case, it said Ted Michaels, uh, you know, uh, ran blah blah blah, uh, kilometer time, whatever. And then I go in the uh, category and see that I'm about sixteenth uh, in my age group. Wow, that's great to it, you know. But it's a, it's great to uh, to keep that participation up and keep people involved in it because yep. that's been the issue with these events that have canceled. Is that how do you keep the momentum up for the following year? Yep. But that's a great idea. Yeah. So that's uh, that that's been done by several races, and uh, gee, maybe we can get Diana to participate at some point. You know, walking the five k or you know, you know, I highly recommend walking it, Diana. I yeah, mean, me uh, too. <laughs> <laughs> After you that, can... I don't want to be like Ted there. Yeah. Really. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, uh, yeah, where's the inspiration there? But I'll honestly, just be walking. See you guys. <laughs> uh, apparently, it's quite a bit of fun, though, Diane. I, I don't get it. It is that time of the show when we preview the Scott Radley show coming up after the 6 o'clock news. Also, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. And is with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. I am doing just fine. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. So sad news for Cats fans. Looks like uh, Dane Evans out for four to six weeks. What does this mean? What's going to happen here? Well, this is why in the CFL you preferably have two starting quarterbacks, which they do because they also have Jeremiah Masoli. Now the the downside is he's he's also on the limp. So um, you know you um, you hang in, you hang around, you hope that for the next four weeks which is actually the part of their season that probably is, I don't want to say the easiest part of the schedule, but it's, it's, there are winnable games here. Um, you just hang around and hope that you can win them and somehow find a way and do it the hard way, and then when they get back healthy, you move from there. Uh, obviously, that's how uh, Evans got back in. Masoli was out. So how healthy is he? Will he be replacing him? Or is that know. still to be known? So I wasn't down at the stadium, but the last I heard, he wasn't taking the first team reps. So that doesn't necessarily mean he's not starting. Um, but the Ticats have themselves a bit of a situation right here for the next little while until Jeremiah Masoli is back healthy. And then you, if you're a Ticat fan, you are very, very, very hopeful that Masoli can play and not be hurt. And he can stay in it. And again, this is exactly why you have two good quarterbacks on your roster for a situation like this. Ideally, they're not hurt at the same time. But, you know, I think you and I talked um, a week or so ago about what do you do when Masoli comes back? Does he get the job? Yeah. Uh, Because you don't lose your job to an injury. Well, now Masoli lost his job sort of to an injury. It looked like Dane Evans was the guy. Now Evans is hurt. Maybe Masoli wins his job back because of an injury. You know, it's, it, sports is a weird place, Scott, and uh, sometimes things work out in funny ways. But assuming Masoli is able to play again before Evans is able to come back, you know, the, there's going to be some pressure on him now because he lost his first two games, granted against very good yeah. teams. Evans comes in, looks very good. They win their next two. They lost their third one under him. But, you know, it's... um. Jeremiah Masoli suddenly now is not the guy, I don't think in a lot of fans' minds, who is the the guy. It's Evans. And so he's going to have to prove that back. Uh, and we don't know the extent of how, when was he supposed to come back? Do we know that? No, although I heard somewhere, um, I think I heard uh, Orlando Steinauer, the coach of the Ticats, say that he's close or he's ready or he could. Um, but you know what, Scott? One. Something else that uh, that coaches love to do is uh, only yeah. army generals try to be more secretive than coaches with what players are injured yeah. and who's available and who isn't and what the yeah. injury is. It was Hamilton's Pat Burns. People forget this. Who was the guy who started that whole hockey thing of upper body injury? We don't even. <laughs> it's above his ankle. It's an upper body injury, and if it's below his shoulder, it could be a lower body injury. Figure it out yourself. I mean, they're secretive, so. I wouldn't read anything into this. I would see who steps out on the field to start the game, and then we'll decide what we know. All right, Las Vegas makes its debut in the NFL last night. Your thoughts? Uh, watched a bit of that game. That was um, that was a great game. I didn't see yeah, very exciting. I tuned in, tuned in early in the fourth quarter. Glad I did because uh, 
that was a great game. I mean, if you missed it, and I'm sure a lot of people did because it was on later Monday Night Football, um, Las Vegas has the ball at the half-yard line in overtime to win. Yeah. They take a five-yard penalty, back it up, then they're yeah. intercepted, then it yeah. looks like Baltimore is going to come back and win, then they fumble, and Vegas gets the ball. But it was it was great. It was, And you know what the, the unfortunate part is? You just asked about the Ticats. Um, that's kind of how we CFL the majority of CFL games used to be. And uh, there's an argument to be made. I think a lot of people would make this argument right now. The NFL, which used to be the boring league compared to the exciting CFL, may have stolen the mantle away from the Canadian game. And that's, you know, that's something the CFL should be concerned about because the one thing it always had over the NFL was, yeah, sure, you can watch all the big-name guys play to a 9-6 game on nine field goals or whatever, or you can tune in and watch us put up 9,000 yards and score 150 points, and it's fantastic end-to-end. Now that's the NFL. So Vegas puts the show back in show business. What do other teams learn? Because obviously once Vegas gets its teeth into something, they like to go up, up and above everybody else. Well, when uh, when the Vegas Golden Knights came into the NHL their first year, do you remember what happened when they got into the playoffs and those sort of pregame extravaganzas that they had with laser shows and they had <laughs> yes. a guy in a yeah. in a knight's uniform yeah. hanging around yeah. with the sword and the yeah. but like now not everybody followed suit on that. I mean, there's some things that Vegas can do and nobody else can do. Nashville and hockey tried to do it and they did it pretty well. Some other places have done it. I don't know that Vegas is going to rub off on the rest of the NFL. But, you know, I, I was talking with Don Robertson on my show last night, and we were talking about the Argos and their social media account, which is very cheeky and very funny if you haven't checked out the Argos social media account. And we were saying, is this good for a league to have something that's not really serious that they're poking fun? And, yes, it's just entertainment. So whatever yep. they want to do to try and make the thing entertainment, and anyone else who wants to steal ideas from them, Go for it. Why, why wouldn't we want? This is, this is not solving cancer. This is not resolving the world's socio-geopolitical problems. This is sports. It's fun. Make it fun. And at the end of the day, it's Vegas, baby. So if you're an NFL team, a hockey team, or any team, you're still competing with every other entertainment venue in that city. And if, you, if you're a Vegas sports franchise, you've got some competition. I mean, you know, there's only so many dollars in your entertainment pie and the choice is, do I want to go see a football game or do I want to go see Celine Dion? Well, I know which one I'd go see. Um, and it's not Celine Dion, nonetheless. Uh, you know, it's, there are questions, and, and you've got to, you're right, you've got to win that battle. And so what do you do to make sure? Here's the thing about sports, and I think Bob Young actually said this years ago when he first took over the Ticats, and it was a thing he said. You, don't, you can't guarantee what kind of game is going to be played on the field. You can't guarantee the outcome. So what you have to do is make sure all the peripheral stuff, the game day experience, is yeah. so good that even if your team has the worst game ever, people still walk away and said, game sucked, but I had a great time. Good point. Who's on the show tonight, real quick? Uh, we're going to be talking some election stuff. We are going to be talking about television. And off the bat, we're going to be talking about the Canadian flags. Have you noticed they're still at half-mast? Yep. How long do we go with the Canadian flags at half-mast? What is the... What is the appropriate time when you consider that a soldier who's killed gets a day, maybe two? And we've had uh, Aaron, Aaron, now for four months. 
Aaron O'Toole said we raised them uh, September 30th on the day of uh, National Truth and Reconciliation. Yep, and, and Justin Trudeau says we don't raise them until Indigenous leaders tell us to raise them, which could be never. Yeah, it could be Who another knows? 150 years from now. I hear you. So, All right. What, what do you do? Scott Radley, Scott Radley show tonight, right after this one. Hang on for that. And, of course, you can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Thank you, Scott. It is 5.57 news coming up at the top of the hour. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As, as always, greatly appreciated. And, as always, we leave it to you, the good listener, or a great Canadian comedian that has passed away and former SNLer, to give you the last word. Well, it is finally official. Murder is legal in the state of California. <laughs>